This is the Kingdom at Hand podcast, and I am Pastor Joe Faldet. All of our sermons are archived on our website, www.hosannafreelutheran.com. We also have started a YouTube channel, and that is Hosanna Free Lutheran. And you can check out the videos there. You can also come visit us in person. We have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and worship at 10 a.m. Sunday mornings during the school year. We also have worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings during the summertime. May God bless you through this. Ephesians 6, verses 16 and 17, and I read in Jesus' name. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, I ask that you would bless us, Lord, and that you would, that you would be honored Lord, and that I would speak rightly and truly, Lord, that we might live these truths out as we strive to put on the whole armor of God. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, now we're on the last three. So, last week we talked about um, standing firm with the belt of truth, the necessity of telling the truth, and how when we're living in lies as human beings, when we're living in lies as Christians, basically our life ultimately falls apart because the belt holds everything together. And so the, the purpose of the belt for the Roman soldier was to hold everything into place. And so if we're telling lies, if we're not living in the truth in all aspects of our lives, you know, internally and externally, our lives are going to fall apart. We're not going to be able to stand when the evil day comes. Have you put on the breastplate of righteousness? We're not walking in righteousness if that's not the guide for our lives. When, when the trials come, it's going to hit us in the most vital places. It's going to hollow us out because we won't, have, we won't have a goal, we won't have an aim, we won't have a lifestyle that we'll be able to continue, that we'll be able to walk in. And so the, the necessity for the breastplate of righteousness. And then finally, last week we talked about as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And as I was editing that for the YouTube and for the radio, I actually cut it out of the radio, um, but for the podcast, I was really kind of saddened how little time I gave to that and how much more could have been said. But if we're living in the gospel in ourselves, that gives us, that gives us an unction Unction? People don't use that word anymore, do they? It gives us a, a motivation. It propels us forward that we might interact with the lives of others. You know, because the joy that I get out of the gospel, just having the gospel inside of me, I want others to have that too. I want others to see the glory and the goodness of God, His love and His, His cherishing, and that comes in the gospel. And as well, I want to be able to see people be reconciled to themselves and people be reconciled to others. People understand forgiveness and freedom. You know, and all of that propulsion comes from knowing the gospel and living it out to see people walk rightly with the Lord. I'll tell you, there isn't any greater joy to see someone get their lives right with God. And that should propel us forward. And with that, we now move into the shield of faith. And, you know, the shield of faith is, 
Well, Paul says, and in all circumstances. I struggle which one of these is more important because they're all just of stupendous importance. And the shield of faith is something that's to be always used because Satan attacks. And Satan attacks often and Satan attacks thoroughly and Satan, he isn't, he isn't far away. You know, but it's interesting then that, so Paul says here that we may be able to extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. What are the flaming darts of the evil one? Have you ever thought about that? What are the flaming darts of the evil one? Well, those are, those are doubts. Times where Satan is calling us to trust in ourselves instead of trusting in God. And that's, you know, that's what he did to Adam and Eve. Called them to trust in themselves instead of trusting in God. You know, look Look to your desires instead of looking to God. God's not going to provide for you. You're going to have to do it on your own. And that's what Satan says to us. At least that's what, one of the ways that he says, speaks to me. That if you don't do this your way, it's not going to get done. You know, whereas God says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. And there God says, that's the way it gets done. You know, and then James tells us in the book of James, uh, I'm actually going to read that, uh, that let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. That's in James 1, uh, verses 13 through 15. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so when we think about the flaming darts of the evil one, we need to think about it in these terms. The flaming darts of the evil one, the doubts and the temptations that he sends at us, are going to be founded upon our desires. They're going to hit those areas. Those areas of our lives which we want something. Those are the places where Satan is going to attack most uh, vehemently because that's the places where we're open to attack. And so if you want, well, if, if you want peace in your life or if you want recognition or if you want power or if you want glory or if you want money or if you want whatever these things that you want, those are the places where Satan's going to attack. And what he's going to do is the same thing he did to Adam and Eve, same thing that James is talking about here. He's going to say, if you don't do it, if you walk according to God's ways, you're not going to get what you want. If you live in righteousness, it's not going to come to you. You're not going to get the peace that you desire. If you live in righteousness, if you live according to God's ways, you're not going to you're not going to be provided for. You're not going to be satisfied with this life. And Satan says that. And he attacks us with those darts. And so when Paul says to take up the shield of faith, the first thing that that means is that we entrust those desires over to God. That we put the desire and the satisfaction of that desire into God's hand. And so if I am going to... Well, I'm going to use an illustration. And it's going to come... You know, we've talked about my fertility, Kirsten and our fertility. Obviously, 
it's, she's not infertile anymore because our kids are sick and they're gone. Um, and Anton's hanging out with the Girl Scouts. So behave there, buddy, and make sure that Lindy stays out of trouble. Um, when we were in the midst of dealing with infertility, we, um, we'd been trying for five years to have kids. And, you know, and that we really struggled with that. And as we struggled with that, and as we battled with that, and as we doctored for that, finally we came to the point where we couldn't doctor any further in good conscience for ourselves. And we said, okay, God, we're going to entrust this desire to have kids to you. We want to have children, but we're going to put that into your hands. And if you never give us children, we're okay with that. We're not going to do something that we can't do in good conscience. We're going to put this into your hands. And then we're going to take all of our time and all of our energy and all of our love and we're going to give it to everybody that's around us. If we don't have children to give that to, then we're going to spread it to everybody else. We're going to give it to other people's kids. We're going to, we're going to disciple and we're going to nurture whoever we can. We're going to entrust this desire to you and we're going, to, we're going to do the best, be the most faithful with what you have given us right now. And we entrusted that to God. And when we entrusted that to God, that actually made it so that it was harder for Satan to tempt us in that area. Because now we put that into God's hands. We entrusted that over. Now this desire, I no longer hold it. I put it in God's hands. This, you know, these fears that we have, we no longer have to hold those. We can put those into God's hands and say, God, you have to take care of this. Because I'm not strong enough and Satan's tempting us. And this is terrible. I'm not big enough to take care of it myself. I'm going to entrust this to you. And that's part of the shield of faith, to take that desire, because that's where Satan attacks us at, to take that desire and say, God, I'm giving this to you. I'm giving that thing that I want over to you, and I'm going to live in faithfulness and in righteousness as well as I can. And if I never get that thing, praise be to your name. And if I get that thing, praise be to your name. That's going to be you. I'm not going to pursue that anymore. And that was August. So we only walked in that for like four months. And then Kirsten got pregnant December 24th. She found that she was pregnant. That was quite a Christmas present. Um, and that was Anton. <laughs> and now God's given us two more, but one of them's sick. Uh. So part of this shield of faith is something that we have to prepare beforehand. And we take that desire and we entrust it to God because that's where Satan's going to attack us with those flaming darts. That's where he's going to hit us in our desires. So we take our desires, we entrust them to God. And then when they well up in us again, what do we do? We beat ourselves up because that's the way we deal with it. No! We bring them back to God and say, Lord, I'm going to entrust this to you again. And then it's going to well up again because once you entrust those things over to God, it's not a lack of faith that you have to keep entrusting it to God. It's actually an act of faith. It's an exercise of faith to keep bringing it to God. God, I'm going to bring this back to you. This is actually what I had to do when I was, you know, single. And I finally decided to quit chasing girls because they kept shooting me down. And that was embarrassing and frustrating. And I don't like being rejected. There's a lot of things. Finally said, God, I give this to you. Give this to you. I'm not going to pursue that anymore. And then Satan no longer has the ability to shoot us there. So how do we wield the shield of faith? We take that desire and we give it to God. Because that's an act of faith. Also though, what do we do 
when the doubts come directly at us then. And so that's how we prepare with the shield of faith. What do we do when they come directly at us? Then we have to engage our will and say, I'm going to trust God now. I'm going to trust God with this situation that I'm in. I'm going to trust God tonight. I'm going to trust God tomorrow. And so, you know, and this is usually what we talk about when we talk about the shield of faith. That we, um, that we bear, I suppose it would be my left hand, that we bear up that shield of faith so that when, Satan, when we are under attack right now, when Satan says, you are, you are worthless because. When Satan says, you are, oh boy, you are a failure. You are worthless. You are unhonorable. You are, aren't respectable. You aren't lovable. You, you don't deserve good. When Satan attacks us in that way, or when he says things like, you can't really trust God. This is easier. Do that way. God's way isn't best. We hold that shield of faith and we say, I'm going to trust God instead of trusting me. And that's what Adam and Eve should have done. You know, how this world would have changed had Adam and Eve said, I'm going to trust God. Did God really say? Yeah, actually he did. So run along now. You know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James says that too. Wow, we're getting a lot of stuff out of James. Good thing we're having our men's Bible study on that. James is a great book. But resist the devil and he will flee from you. What does that mean? That means that you hold fast to the shield of faith. That doesn't mean that you just say the words, devil, I resist you. That means that you say those, you can say those words. That's great. But you say, God has promised. I'm going to stand on that. God has revealed himself. I'm going to stand on that. God has said, I'm going to stand on that. Did God really say? Yes, he did. And that is resisting the devil. That is using the shield of faith. That is engaging your will and actually fighting. That's how we fight in hand-to-hand combat. We engage the will and say, I'm going to do this God's way. Period. Well, but God, but bad things might come. But this is God's way. I was talking to someone about that. This week? Oh man, my weeks have just run together these last few. But something bad might happen. If something bad happens and you're walking in God's way, then that's on God. And he'll take care of it. If something bad happens and you're the one that's doing it your way, well, that's on you. You've got to figure out how to take care of that. So when I'm walking, when I'm trusting in myself, ah man, I've got a fool for a God. <laughs> because I'm a fool. I don't know tomorrow. I don't know the best way. And so we say, no, I'm going to trust God. Satan says, can you really trust God? Shield of faith says, I'm going to trust God. And he brings arguments against. But who do you trust? Your own reason? We talked about that in Sunday school. Trust God. So how do we wield the shield of faith against the flaming darts of the evil one? Flaming darts of the evil one are going to come at our desires. Because <clears throat> that's what we're told in the book of James. That's actually Adam and Eve too. You know, they saw that it was good for food, so they were hungry, and that it was good to make one wise. So they wanted wisdom. So what were their desires? Food and wisdom. So that's where Satan hit them. So when Satan attacks us, we, first we take those desires, we give them over to God. 
It might not be satisfied. I might not get my way. Well, we trust that to God and say, God, this is in your hands. And then when those attacks come, we say, I'm going to trust God because I know that he knows best. Take that back. I'm going to trust God. That makes sense? Okay, good. Next, the helmet of salvation. This one has confused me since I was like 16 years old. And I'm 37 now, so I've been thinking about this, not steadily, but for about 21 years. Every time I read through this passage, I thought, I don't get the helmet of salvation. Because my counselor in Bible camp, Bethany Bible camp, um, she said that, so we broke into teams and so different counselors got teams. And my team leader was a lady and she said, uh, the helmet of salvation, what does that mean? And I, I suppose it means that if you're not saved and you get hit, you're dead. And how, how what? I don't get it. it. And that's always stuck with me and I've never had a better explanation until this year. When I was reading this, preparing for this sermon, I was reading a guy named uh, Brother Lawrence. Have any of you ever read Brother Lawrence? You can find it online. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. And God brought a couple of things together. The helmet of salvation. And so I'm not going to go through the whole story because uh, I've already preached for quite a while. The helmet of salvation protects our mind. Because when we're thinking about the helmet of salvation, what are we as Christians saved from? You ever thought, wondered that? What are we saved from? Because if we're being saved, that means we're in trouble. Where's that trouble? What are we getting saved out of? You know, it's like, not out of the frying pan and into the fire. It's, what are we getting saved out of? We're being saved from, two answers come to mind. And I've asked, I've actually asked, talked to people about this because I wanted to test it first. Two things come to mind when I talk to people about this. One, we're saved from sin. Two, we're saved from hell. The funny thing is, they're both the same thing. Why do we go to hell? Because of sin. Why does, what is hell? Hell is the wrath of God undiluted with the goodness of God. And so a way to abstractly think about hell, it is all of the wrath of God with none of his goodness at all. And so we are saved from the wrath of God. Why does the wrath of God come upon us? Because of our sin. And so, what are we saved from as Christians? We are saved from the wrath of God. If God's wrath no longer is upon us, what aspect of God is upon us? God's love, right? Because we see God interacting with humanity in two ways. We see God interacting with humanity through wrath. We see God interacting with humanity through love. And so, if God's wrath isn't upon us anymore then what aspect of God is upon us? His love. Jesus has taken the wrath of God on my behalf. And so if I'm in Christ, I am protected from the wrath of God. And so this should change the way that I think. And actually, it's funny. Uh, every time we do communion, do you guys ever, do you, any of you remember how I always close up each communion table? Having partaken in the holy body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, you can be assured that your sins are forgiven you for Jesus' sake. And for Jesus' sake, you are now in a right relationship with God. So you can go in peace 
as you serve our Lord. And so you are in a right relationship with God, meaning you are no longer under the wrath of God. You are no longer at enmity with God. You have been reconciled to God. So having now been reconciled to God, you can live your life in peace as you serve our Lord. And so that's what I'm saying. I said that for years. So when we interact with this world and the situations of this world, how do we think about them? How do you think about the situations in this world? All of the good things that come to me. Why do they come to me? Because I'm such a nice guy. No, I'm not. Try to be. Don't always succeed. It's because God loves me. And so now as I interact with this world, I don't get to take credit for the good things that come into my life anymore. I don't say, hey, this happened because of my wisdom, because of my good looks. And, um, well, yeah, I'm almost quoting Saturday Night Live, I'm finding. Um, no, it's not because of me. It's because of the love of God. God wants to give good things. How many of you believe that? Because we're told again in the book of James that all good things come from God. Right? And so when God says all good things, what's he saying? Just some of them. Yeah, because all means some never. All good things come from God. And so when good things come to me, like my children or my family or, you know, finances, you know, it's, it's nice to have money. Not that I'm rich by any stretch of the imagination, but it's nice to be able to pay for my bills and have a little bit left over. And so when these good things come to me, I can say, this is out of the love of God. So why is God giving these things to me? Well, because he loves me. And if he's giving these good things to me because he loves me, then he wants me to use them in light of that love too. And Paul says that it's better to give than to receive. And so these things aren't mine that I can just do whatever I want with them. I am to be living in these good things that God has given me. I am to be rejoicing in them and then using them out of love for Him. And so how do I train my children? Out of love for God. How do I interact with my wife? Out of love for God. So that she might know the love of God. So that they might know the love of God. How do I interact with my money? Out of love for God. How does He want me to use this? How, what does He want me to, to seek with this? You know, this, all these good things are now given to me out of love for God. Out of God's love for me. Get that right one of these days. So they're not given to me because of my goodness. They're given to me because Jesus died for me. And because God then is blessing me in his love. What do I do? How do I think about the bad things that happen to me? How many here have had good things happen to you? All of us, I hope. Oh, I had something good happen to you somewhere along the line. That's because of the love of God. How many of you have had things that you've said were bad, or hard, painful, difficult, whatever? I actually really struggled with that word. What word do I put in this? Evil? Well, you know, that's a tough word. Evil is a big word. So I put bad. How do I view that? How do I view the infertility that Kirsten and I dealt with? How do I view that? How do I view some of the interpersonal relationships, you know, struggles that I've had since I've come here? Thankfully, not with anybody within Hosanna. (laughs) But, like, how do I view that? How do I view the struggles? How do I view the lies? 
you know, if I am, if God loves me, then God is opening this up towards me out of his love for me, not out of his wrath towards me. And that's important. Does that mean, and so I'm going to hit that point and then I'm going to go on to the question that I see in people's eyes. Don't worry, Janet. I'll get there. Um, that means that the bad thing that's happening to me isn't because God is mad at me, that God is hating me, that the difficult thing that I'm going through isn't because God wants to get me or to crush me or to break me down into nothingness. It's not wrath at that point. It's love. And so now that I look at the struggle that I have, and I was actually doing that this morning, uh, for some reason this morning, I was just really feeling depressed. And, And a whole bunch of things came into my mind. And I was just shocked because normally I don't feel depressed. And this morning it just came upon me as a wave. And then I was, but I was thinking about this sermon. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So how do I view this? How do I view this thing that would normally be considered bad? Okay, thank you, God, that you have given me this as an illustration. (laughs) What do you want me to do with it? Fight it. Take up the shield of faith. Okay, God, I'm going to trust you with these things. Pray always. Okay, God. And so then as I thought through them, I asked God, God, what do you want me to do with this situation? What do you want me to do with that situation? All of these things are going on. What do you want me to do? How can I be more faithful in this? And so I prayed about them. And so this depression that came upon me actually could be seen as an opportunity for me to exercise my faith. Thank you, God, that I have an opportunity to exercise my faith. Thank you, God, that I have an opportunity to resist the devil. Thank you, God, that you think so highly of me that you have put me in charge of all of these lives, that I am responsible for these lives. Thank you for that. May I fulfill that in joy and in faithfulness to you. Thank you, God, for these difficulties because they give me an opportunity to see you at work. And so these hardships that I'm undergoing, how do I see them? Because when you put on a helmet, you look through it and it protects your mind. How do I think about them? How do I see them? With what lens do I approach them? This is the love of God. Okay, this is the love of God. Now how do I interact with it under that banner? The love of God. Does that mean that you embrace it and say, thank you God, I love being depressed? No! Nobody likes that. We say, thank you God, now I have an opportunity to live out your righteousness in a greater way. Because it's not really a test of faith when someone's living properly and everything's going well. Right? And everything's going well. It's easy to praise God. But when things get really hard, you know, when you start having back problems and your eyes start going, when, you know, it, yeah, think of the, the prophet. I think it's Habakkuk where he, he says, you know, he talks about the farming prospects, basically. He says, there's no cattle in the pens. There's no sheep on the hills. That's, no sheep in the stalls. You know, there's no, there's no grain, there's nothing, yet I will praise the Lord. And you know, that's where faith really comes through. And so why is God bringing all of these hard things into my life? Well, it's possible that there's something that you need to repent of. It's discipline. Does God discipline us at times? Absolutely. I discipline my kids. I expect that God's going to discipline me. And so when that discipline comes, I can say, 
Thank you, God, for not letting me walk in my sin. Because God doesn't want me walking in sin because sin harms everything. It harms everything it touches. It's like nuclear waste. It's just destructive wherever it goes. That's sin. And so God doesn't want me walking in sin anymore. He wants it removed from my life. But sometimes hardship has to come. Even to me as a pastor, you know, I'm not perfect. Hardship has to come so that I finally say, okay, God, I, I don't want this sin anymore. I want to walk in righteousness. And so God disciplines me so that I no longer walk in my sin, but I walk in righteousness. So I can say, thank you, God, for this discipline. Because I don't want to walk in sin. Thank you for bringing me to repentance. Blessed be your name. So why do hardships come upon us? Why do bad things happen to us as Christians? It's out of the love of God. So either one, we can exercise our faith, or two, we can repent from the sin that we're living in. Those are good things. And so the helmet of salvation helps us to see the bad things as the good things that they're intended to. Because I am now saved from the wrath of God. Therefore, this is a thing of love. Does that make sense? Any questions? I know that sounds just way out there. But this is, this is the best explanation that I've got for this. Like, it changes the way that I think about the world. Now all these things no longer have to hold fear to me because this is an opportunity for me to exercise my faith or an opportunity for me to come to repentance. These things are opportunities. These are blessings because I am saved from the wrath of God. Praise God. Man, I feel like I just end there. I probably will on the radio. Um, Thirdly, the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now this is just stupendous. Um, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, how does the Spirit work? You know, how many of you have ever heard a prophecy? Heard someone say, you know, give you a prophecy. I've been prophesied over a number of times. Um, Some of them were biblical. Some of them um, weren't. I don't know how to best say it. Openly and obviously heretical. How does the Holy Spirit work? Does the Holy Spirit work contrary to his will? To his word, sorry. Does the Holy Spirit work contrary to his word? No. And so if I'm going to be taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God... Everything that I claim to be a spiritual thing needs to line up in some degree with the Word of God. Because the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, this isn't saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't work apart from His Word. It means that He never works contrary to His Word. He works through His Word. He always supports His Word. And so these things, because He wants us to be relying upon His Word with our interactions in this world. If I'm not relying upon the word of God, then I'm relying upon me or I'm relying upon culture. Because oftentimes people say, I was listening to someone the other day and they were saying, you know, we don't need religion to make us good. People are by nature good. And I'm thinking, this is someone that lives in America. This is someone that lives in a culture that's been infiltrated by the word of God and by Christian morals For generations and generations. I would love to see this guy go over to a Muslim land or go off to Papua New Guinea or go off into the Amazon and interact with some of these tribes and say, 
You know what? All these people are by nature good. Because one, that means that he's got a definition of the word good. And then he's walking according to that. And you know what? Their definition of good and my definition of good might not be the same thing. So you go to a Muslim land. You might be taken off YouTube for this. Uh, it's, it's within Muslim bounds to lie to the infidels for the glory of Allah. So they can lie to us. They can lie to Christians and still be following the Quran. If, it's, if they can convince themselves it's for the glory of Allah. Would any of you consider that good? Would any of you ever consider lying for the sake of God? Be tempted to. Never give it serious thought. Because we know what happens when we lie. Everything falls apart. That's the belt of truth. And so what they consider good, I don't consider good at all. And so are they by nature good? Well, no. They're, they're changed by their culture. And so what this guy was saying is that you can just trust culture to lead people rightly. Actually, another guy was saying you can trust psychedelics to lead you rightly. It's like, man, these guys are nuts. Psychedelics do not lead you into truth. Shouldn't have to say that. But yeah, I have to say that nowadays. It's the word of God that leads us into truth. And so how do I know what good is? It's because of the word of God. That becomes a standard by which I divide good from evil, right from wrong. Righteousness from unrighteousness. It's the word of God because what does a sword do? It divides things. And so you got to, it's sharp as a double-edged sword that can cleave the bone from the marrow. You know, that's pretty sharp. That's what we're told in the book of Hebrews. Here's the same thing. It's the word of God that teaches us. It's the divisive thing. It splits things apart. Now we know what's good. Now we know what's evil. Because of the word of God. And we use it in that way. And that then is the, the means by which we use the rest of the armor as well. How do we know truth? How do we know what to believe? How do we use the sword of, or the shield of faith. We use the, sh- the shield of faith in conjunction with the sword of the Spirit. And so someone has told me once, um, if you just believe it hard enough, and this is that guy that I was talking to that was all about the, you know, using the name Jesus. Um, if you just believe it hard enough, God will make you rich. If you just believe it hard enough, God will heal your body. If you just believe it hard enough, and you know, he kind of got that southern accent in there, definitely a Pentecostal. Um, nothing against Pentecostals, but it was just yeah, right in that. Um, where does God say that? That if you believe it hard enough, you'll be rich. The Apostle Paul was poor. I guess Paul didn't have enough faith. Timothy got sick. He had to take wine for his stomach because he had stomach problems. I guess he didn't have enough faith. Apostle Paul had eye problems. He was detained in Galatia because of it. Guess he didn't have enough faith. Think about that. Where is that? Yeah, that's an attack of Satan. Well, and Paul talks about that. But even there with the the thorn of the thorns in his flesh. What's going on? Obviously, Paul doesn't have enough faith. We have to look to the promises. And so if I'm, stand, if I'm using the shield of faith, I need to be standing upon a promise of God. I need to be standing upon the promise of God. That needs to be my foundation. My foundation for my faith can't be my feelings, my wants, my desires. They can't be my foundation for my faith. 
It has to be the word of God. And so the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, works in conjunction then with the shield of faith. That um, the helmet of salvation. How do I know to view these things? How do I know that God isn't angry with me? How do I know that I'm in a right relationship with God? How do I know that I'm saved from his faith? Or saved from his wrath? Because that's what God has said. So the shield or the sword of the spirit works in conjunction with the helmet of salvation. How do I know what is true? It's revealed in the word of God. So the sword of the spirit works in conjunction with the belt of truth. That sword of the spirit works in conjunction with all of the armor. How do I know what is righteous? Sword of the spirit teaches me the word of God. How do I know that I'm reconciled to God? How do I know how to become reconciled to other people? How do I know the joy of the gospel? How do I know what it brings? Even my shoes work in conjunction with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. They all fit together. They all work together. We need all of them because it's the word of God that's foundational to our Christianity. And when we leave behind the word of God, Christianity falls apart. Not right away. It takes a couple generations. Because those couple generations are surviving on the fumes of their father's and grandfather's Christianity. Well, you know, that's what they were taught when they were babies. That's what they were taught when they were young. That's what they learned in confirmation. And then they carry that forward, not understanding that it ultimately had come from the Word of God. That's what our culture is living on right now, the fumes of Christianity. And unless we as Christians step up and take seriously the Word of God, take seriously the armor of God, we're not going to be able to stand and change our culture. Because we live nowadays in a culture that needs change. How many of you think that our culture as Americans is great and it's fine, it can do whatever it wants? No. These people need Jesus. But if I'm not using the armor of God, I can't even stand against the evil that they're bringing. And so God calls me then to take advantage of these things that he's given us so that when the day of evil comes, we'll be able to stand. How do we know that? Because the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, tells us. And so we trust that. And we walk in God's righteousness. Hold fast to the truth because it's the word of God that's foundational in all aspects of our lives. Does that mean that following the word of God will always be easiest? No. Does that mean that it will always bring out our desired outcome right away? No. It means it will bring out the best outcome in the long run. It means that it will be good even if it's hard. And so we trust God. We use his word. And next week we're going to talk about how prayer energizes all of these things. So, sorry to have to cut it there. But this is the armor of God. We need to be wearing these things. Living in them. Using them in all of our interactions with people. For our sake. Because the world needs to be able to see Christians standing against evil. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this text and the depth of it. Father, I pray that we would meditate on these things and that we would walk in them. Lord, that you might be glorified. And Father, that we might be able to stand firm. Lord, let us live these truths out, belt of truth.
breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, shield of faith, shoes fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Lord, may we live these out in all aspects of our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.